Wayfair 515, Albuquerque Center, Roger, climb and maintain 13,000. Riding down the trail to Albuquerque, saddlebags all filled with beans and Welcome to the City on the Edge podcast with your hosts, Nora Hickey, Mike Smith, and Ty Bannerman. Don't look much like Los Angeles to me. Um, hey, welcome back to City on the Edge. Uh, I am Ty Bannerman. I'm Nora Hickey. You're Nora Hickey. We may or may not be joined by Mike later on, but I do have a, a special Mike-related surprise a little Ooh. later on. Oh, oh. <laughs> Is he going to jump out of a cake? No, no, no cakes. No jumping out of cakes. Um, but we do have we have a way that you can get the uh, the Mike Smith experience for yourself at your own home. Uh, so we're calling oh my it that. No, didn't it want that. The Mike Smith simulator. <laughs> I need that up here in Colorado. Well, maybe we should. Should we start with that? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to be talking about. Uh, it's kind of our. Uh, I feel like we're doing a a scoundrels mini series right now. So as part of our scoundrels mini series, we're going to talk about this guy Howard Elam, who was a, a con man in the 70s and 80s here in, in Albuquerque. But before that, um, you know, Mike, Mike hasn't been on the show for a couple episodes and, uh, you know, I'm not sure if he'll be joining us today, but he did send me five audio files of him driving around Albuquerque's International District delivering pizzas. Delivering pizza. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, they're, they're pretty... They're pretty interesting. Um, I mean, not not completely interesting, but also like parts of them are really interesting. So I thought what I would do is I'd start this episode off by announcing that we're going to be having those uh, those audio files on our Patreon page for $5 a month and up patrons, and they can download them and have the experience of riding along in a car with Mike Smith. Uh, and I think it would be best if what you do is you take these um, audio files and you go down to the international district and you just kind of drive around and I don't have a route for you. Maybe if I talk to Mike, we can figure out a route that you could take. Um, Ooh, yes. <gasps> the Mike Smith map. Yeah. The Mike Smith map. But I think if what you do is you drive uh, like, I think the first one starts out around Zuni and uh, I'm trying to think if there's a, if there's a landmark, he talks about the uh, First National Bank building. Um, but if you just drive kind of randomly from Zuni and San Mateo east to uh, through the International District, um, and you know, don't <laughs> don't take your life into your hands or anything like that. Don't don't stop and talk to anybody standing on street corners. But uh, you can listen to this and have a feeling of what it would be like to actually go out and about delivering pizzas with Mike Smith. And I have a, a brief uh, taste of it. I thought maybe we'd do little brief tastes on future episodes. Please. Especially since um, Mike is uh, kind of MIA at this exact moment. But um, this is a little taste of what it would be like to deliver pizzas with Mike Smith. So that was my um, first delivery of the day a bit ago. Um, 
I delivered to a woman who I believe with near certainty was the daughter of my high school principal. She spoke to me on the phone in the same condescending uh, kind of... Uh, now, if you had listened to the directions that were given to you, I'm like, lady, you don't know who they were given to. Somebody else. Never heard these directions. I got a receipt here with like five words on it, printed, scrambled. Um, anyway. But pretty sure that was my ex-principal's kid. That's a weird thing that happens. Working a job like this, she's like, it's, it's, there's a very small town quality to Albuquerque. Delivered to a few people I know. Um, anyway, but it was weird. I wanted to be like, I blew up your dad's mailbox and got suspended for it and got a taste of approval for rebellious acts that derailed my whole life. So we have a connection. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I remember when I came back from my two-week suspension, just everyone in all my classes stood up and cheered me. And, you know, when my wife went to that same school years later, they were still talking about it. So there was, like, approval and affirmation that was connected to it. It really did cause me a lot of trouble for a while. It was a dangerous thing. Yeah, when people document the 90s, they don't talk about how much rural and semi-rural kids were messing around with dry eyes. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Um, let me stop sharing the screen now. So there you I go. That's... think I, could... what, what's I that? couldn't have asked for a better mic excerpt. <laughs> Delivering pizzas, and that's what is revealed. <laughs> what is revealed when Mike Smith delivers pizzas in Albuquerque. Um, it is the Mike Smith ride-along simulator. I'll be releasing, I think, one track a week on uh, on the Patreon page. He just he just emailed them to me without really any indication of what I'm supposed to do with them. So this is what I'm doing with them. Um, and uh, and I think for each episode we'll have it. We'll have more Mike Smith uh, anecdotes and snippets from him delivering pizza in a, in the weeks ahead. So make sure oh, you stay tuned in for that. I really love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's great. Um, well, Howard Elam. Yeah, let's talk about the scoundrel. So I thought we'd start with February 26th, 1986. Do you know the significance Ooh. of that date? Is, is he going to prison? No, that is when New, Me New Mexico state investigators uh, searching his house discovered a hand dug cave beneath, uh, beneath his Northeast Heights home. Inside the cave, they're like looking around with flashlights they find an unsettling sight. Skulls, human skulls. Oh my God. By the time they clear them all out, they have found over 150 skulls in all. Okay, I didn't, I, I got to his other two um, surprising and illegal activities. I had not heard the skull thing. What <laughs> the heck? I was surprised what? at how like, underreported the skull thing was it showed up in a couple of articles in other states it was much more sensationalized and albuquerque was almost like incidental oh my god i mean so, that's disturbing it is disturbing to just i mean just 150 skulls in a basement under a home in albuquerque's northeast heights is is terrifying but 
I do want to say right off the bat, it's not because he was a serial killer. Okay. Um, Avril Howard Elam II was his name. And uh, he was a grave robber. He was a bookseller. And he was a thief. He was a born... liar in general, it sounds like as well. A what? A liar in general. A liar, yeah. Definitely mm -hmm. a liar. Wild stories coming out of this guy. Yeah. I had a hard time figuring out stuff about his early life kind of before he, he hit the papers. But I found out that he was born in 1937, almost certainly in Ikantuchka, Oklahoma, where he's listed as residing in 1940, uh, the 1940 census when he's two years old. Oh. By 1953, he had moved to Albuquerque. He attended Highland High School just down the street from where I live. Uh, and he won second place in 1953 in the state fair for his display of arrowheads and other Indian artifacts. There. See him? Kind of, kind of nerdy. Got a wispy hair, sort of awkward looking. I like the bow yeah. tie. That's a nice touch. So let's see. Uh, at some point during his time in New Mexico, he began to leverage his interest in Native American artifacts into a business. In the 1960s, he established himself in a small shack near Chaco Canyon, where he gave archaeological tours to out-of-towners. Wow. Yeah. And it's long before this was uh, Chaco Canyon was a national uh, historic monument. And then he began buying and selling books at various stores in New Mexico and via mail to, uh, from, to and from more far-flung places. He got married, then divorced, and then by 1964, he was married to his second wife, Linda Kay. Okay. All right, so that's pretty much all I know about his early days. So in 1972, UNM librarians find something shocking. Did you uh, did you get into this? Yes, and this was um, the first notice I found of him. Mm -hmm. Of basically that. Uh, well, yes, not him yet, but back over at UNM libraries, there's a ton of missing documents. Thousands. Three three thousand. Is that what they? Was there a number? I saw different numbers. I had a hard time kind of tracking it down, making sense of it. Um, but definitely oh, yeah. thousands, 3000 sounds about right. I found the exact three in, in the um, New York Times article I was reading, which I was surprised I didn't find. Yeah, anyway, the, the coverage outside of New Mexico is interesting. Yeah. They state it as 3,934 irreplaceable documents. Yeah, not just books, but these are documents from Zimmerman Library's ninth stack, which is on the ninth floor of the big tower at Zimmerman. And it at that point, it was devoted to just unique and irreplaceable, like you said, priceless papers from New Mexico's history. Right. Um, a student requested a document from the ninth floor. They went, they couldn't find it. And they found, in fact, a different document in its place because what had happened was that the thief 
in order to cover up their tracks, basically shuffled the papers all around. Oh, and so he was trying to hide his trail. Right, hide his tracks that way, thinking that, you know, if they just, a cursory view of the, the boxes or whatever, it would show that there was something in them. Um, but it would take a closer examination to figure out that it was something specific, that, that the document that was supposed to be there was gone. So the librarians realize something hinky has gone on and they start examining other documents in the same room and they find that thousands of these documents have had the same thing happen to them. Oh. Entire collections are gone. Uh, there Great. are, yeah, what did you, uh, I what found did you notice? Old manuscripts, private letters, um, entire collections, as you said, on papers on Indian affairs, yeah. proclamations, um, New Mexico to territorial and state governors, political pamphlets, and civil war maps. Yeah, like um, original proclamations from like the territorial governor of New Mexico under Spanish rule in 1737, that kind of thing. You know, like the original documents from that time period, obviously uh, a devastating loss. Uh, so the school contacts the police and the wow. FBI. But it's not until the Albuquerque Journal publishes a story about the theft in November, so three months after the, uh, the theft is first noticed, that they get their first solid lead. An anonymous caller points the finger at Avril, sorry, Arvel Howard Elam II. They arrive, the police arrive at his house with a search warrant, and sure Wait. enough, they find a bunch of these documents. Yeah. What are you going to say? Oh, I was going to talk a little bit about the um, how they found out it was him. Yeah, go ahead. Um, that, you know, uh, Elam had been had sold it some of the papers mm -hmm. um, to in exchange for a weapon and oh, <laughs> a tipster, according to the article I found, um, knew that this local gunsmith had these documents in their possession. Uh -huh. um, and then the police visited this gunsmith and he, quote, he did have about 800 papers, which the gunsmith stated he had obtained from a Julius Feinberg in exchange for some weapons and cash. Yeah. And then Julius Feinberg turns out to be Howard Elam. Right. He uses uh, pseudonyms a lot, right? But when the when the cops arrive at his house and find all the documents, they question him. And this is the funniest thing to me. He's, he tells them this crazy story saying that he had been forced at gunpoint to purchase the documents by a state legislator named Quintana who had contracted with professional cat burglars to steal the, the documents from the library's ninth floor uh, and they use what? grappling hooks to scale the building and break inside like from an episode of the 1960s Batman. Oh my God. Later they... during the trial, the detective points out that there were no signs of break-ins on the ninth floor and there were no state legislators named Quintana. All right. So the UNM librarians though had a, had a different explanation, one rooted in fact as to what had happened. They realized that during the time window they had pointed, pinpointed for the documents theft, a husband and wife 
who gave their names as Mr. and Mrs. B. Ilfeld had arrived at UNM, asking to see documents related to their ancestor, Charles Ilfeld, a man who had owned a general goods store in 19th century Al Albuquerque. Those documents were under lock and key in the ninth stack. The librarian said that they wouldn't have normally have allowed uh, two outsiders to have access, but seeing as the Ilfelds were relatives of someone who had their documents there, they made an exception for them. The couple went into the stacks for a while, then returned, and the librarian noticed that Mrs. Elfeld now looked approximately nine months pregnant, where the librarian had not noticed her pregnancy when the woman went up. Well, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Which- What? This, they... is, <laughs> this is like a cartoon or something. It is. And, you know, there's a lot of like unanswered questions. Like the librarian just didn't say anything. I guess it's rude to say, hey, you look like you're pregnant now and you didn't look like you were pregnant before. <sighs> and also uh, 3000 documents under her shirt seems like a large amount for for one person to stuff in their yeah, clothing. Yeah. So I wonder if that this is something that had happened multiple times or uh, right, if they had used. Hmm? Right. A few trips there and back. Yeah. Or used different pseudonyms at different times. Mm -hmm. So oh. go ahead. I just it's what a story. <laughs> it's not even over. No, we're not even uh, we're not even at the halfway part yet. So a jury agreed that the Ilfelds were, in fact, Arvel, Howard Elam, and his wife, Linda, and sentenced Arvel to two to 10 years for receiving stolen property. Linda, however, was not charged or sentenced. Arvel oh, appealed, wow. and the judge granted him a $5,000 bond. So he, bail he bailed himself out during the time when he was appealing. But one month later, in May of 1973, Howard and Linda were back in court, this time charged with an attempted robbery and assault against a garage owner. Apparently what happened was Linda Elam ran into the guy's garage and grabbed a toolbox, attempted to escape with it. The garage owner grabbed her by the hand and then Howard showed up with his gun and pointed it at the guy and demanded that he release her. Um, the Elams pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Oh, oh, wait, to, to the this attacking the yeah, to attacking the insanity. Yeah, uh, the judge rejected the plea and Elam wound up going to state prison. Weirdly enough, not Linda, as far as I can tell. Huh. As far as I can tell, she was never charged for any of this stuff, despite the fact that she was clearly an accessory to the book theft and then she was the one who grabbed the uh the toolbox wow but she didn't go so he wound up going to uh to state prison but in 1975 she linda elam became ill and uh, governor tony apodaca granted howard a conditional pardon based on that hardship wow and this is where it gets wild right Yes, because okay. So you figure after a uh, 
after having gone through a situation like this, you think maybe, maybe Howard would, uh, would change his ways. Right. And he did change his con. So in 1980, Howard Elam out of jail for five years begins to promote his latest business venture, which he called the New Mexico Museum Supply and Exploration Company. Is this when he takes people on expeditions to go in search yep. of? Yes. Missing... Yeah, kind of building off his earlier experience at Chaco Canyon, maybe. Yeah. Um, taking people out into, uh, into the New Mexico wilds uh, to search for treasure. Oh um, his modus operandi was to befriend potential clients at church, often the Hoffmantown Baptist Church, and tell them stories about how successful he'd been hunting for treasures in various locations in New Mexico. Once he'd piqued their interest, he would invite them to come with him on an expedition and using maps he said he'd acquired through his research. And in at least one case, using directions gleaned from tracing the path of constellations, he and his mark would find their spot in search. And lo and behold, there was treasure there. Gold crosses, rune carved rocks, and even human remains all proved that the spot was legit. And I read um, some Confederate canyons. Yeah. Confederate cannons, right? Um, yeah, we'll get to that. There was Civil oh, War. Yes. Civil War relics was all, one of his areas. And, and Mike actually wrote about that for one of his My Strange New Mexico columns, which is why I was really hoping he'd be joining us today to talk yeah, about his research. Um, I'll have to, maybe, <laughs> maybe I can just play snippets from his audio files uh, <laughs> in place of him and we can maybe construct a dialogue responding to various <laughs> yeah well anyway his victims were now like amazed at the at the treasures that had been uncovered and they were overwhelmed by elam's generosity because he would give them some of the valuable goods so of course they leaped at the opportunity to help fund the next expedition in exchange for a share of the treasures right he so yeah. he clearly knows what he's doing <laughs> yes but strangely, that next expedition didn't turn up nearly the dazzling finds that the first one did. Oh my God. But Elam had another map and another site in mind. And of course, not every trip was going to pan out, right? But maybe the next big find was right around the corner. And, uh, and if the, the victim ran out of money, then Elam would go to his next church service and start spending his tails again. I mean, what, what, like the gall, the confidence, the confidence, confidence, just a confidence man, a con man that probably refers to getting someone in your confidence, right? Yeah. But maybe it also refers to just being really confident, Yeah. which it seems like he was really confident because he was able to keep this up for six years. Wow. Uh, but in 1986, five of his victims, uh, got together and shared some notes and they realized just how similar their experiences were. Mm -hmm. Each one followed the same uh, steps, an initial dazzling find followed by a pitch to fund the next expedition. 
and then diminishing returns until the victim was no longer willing or able to pay. All five of them had lost money in these, in these ventures. One guy lost only $1,500, uh, but another one lost $35,000. Oh, wow. At this point, they knew for a fact that they'd been conned, and they complained to New Mexico's attorney general. Wow. And that's when this raid, February 25th, 1986, Elam's home is once again raided by police. This time they find a shocking array of relics, some real and probably pilfered from New Mexico's archaeological sites, Native American pots, Spanish santos and the like, and yeah. many fake. Wow. And they found molds to create golden crosses in the shape of Spanish artifacts. And they found the... Hmm? Oh, no, just because uh, I know he's like in and out of prison and doing this stuff. Remind me what year this was at. This is 86. This is 86. Okay. Yeah. So they, they also find the metal that he used to make the, the purported gold artifacts. And it's an alloy that looks like gold, but is in fact, you know, pretty much worthless. Wow. They find more documents, including many that had disappeared from UNM's collections uh, in the 70s, but had not been recovered after his 1973 conviction. Can I tell one thing I found? Yeah, um, go ahead. That I thought, is this evidence of him scamming in um, academia or, uh, you know, just looking around for Googling his name, searching it? The mm -hmm. Indiana University Museum in Bloomington has this report, the sixth annual report from um, that covers a period, I, I believe, from 69, July 1st, 1969 to June 30th, 1970. Mm -hmm. And um, it's this report prepared to show that what what the role of the museum is, what they acquired that year, using what money. And there's four entries in... Um, you know, acquisitions during current year and it explains with a grant of, um, oh, that's something different, but basically it's a part of this acquisition, you know, with money. Uh -huh. And there's four entries for Howard Elam from Albuquerque, New Mexico. No kidding. So, so yeah, he and sold the first, them these things. Yeah. The first is 48 penitente penitente artifacts no kidding um, from howard elam albuquerque new mexico um and then there's four as i said and then there's an object number uh line item number eight 70 objects from the um, penitentes of new mexico wow um, 12 metal pen penitente crosses from hmm. elam um and then 18 penitente drawings and alabado manuscripts from um elam no kidding so, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, he's. He's either stolen. Well, we don't know this, of course. Right. He may have stolen the artifacts, right? And stolen and sold or gave them to the museum. Or maybe he was faking them at that point. It would be interesting to know if there was ever any follow-up. Yeah. On those items. Right. You wonder... Um how many things he circulated out there and if everyone knew they were either fake or stolen or are they even 
like, could those still be at Indiana University or would they have been alerted or, you know, it makes you wonder. I mean, it was national news, this, uh, this raid in 1986. So one would think that somebody at the museum might have noticed and, and checked them out. Right. You know, I, 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 penitente artifacts are hard to come by, right? Like we talked about the penitentes. Right. They're, not, they're not into sharing. Like that, that's their stuff, you know? That's their sacred artifacts. That's, you know, deeply rooted in their spiritual identity. So it, it, it seems right. at least possible to me that, and, and given what we know about Howard Elam, it seems possible that he might have... Uh, Stolen them from somewhere, unauthorized archaeological digs. That was a big thing he was into. Right. Because that was a pretty good, that, that, you know, there's a lot of items in that uh, one year. Right. Yeah. And I don't think he had any qualms about any of this stuff. Because yeah, this... it doesn't sound like he did. So in a... Um, in February, in February of 1986, this is when they, during this raid, that's when they find a hidden trap door in his bedroom. They open it up and there's a series of hand dug caves underneath where they find the remains of over 150 human beings that analysis shows were dug up from burial grounds near Native American ruins in the state. What? Yeah. And that, that's terrible. Oh, it's unconscionable now. And I mean, I don't. Like I said, I, I couldn't believe how underreported this was in the local press. It gets it gets a, a headline mention in I think a a Utah newspaper. It's like 150 skulls found under house in New Mexico. You can't help but wonder, like if these were bodies that he dug up from Fairview Cemetery, would it have been a bigger deal versus, you know, from the Native American grave sites? Sir I mean, that's, I, I, I think you should write an article on this. It's unconscionable, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's so, that's disturbing, that's wrong, mm -hmm. that's, you know. I think, you know, there was kind of a free-for-all period in, in uh, New Mexico Yeah. in terms of getting keepsakes from ruins and so forth so maybe it was bound up in that attitude like oh it's just the remains of the anasazi not you know not real people or whatever right right and there's a whole and and it is interesting and we've talked referenced it before and i know we'll do some episodes on it but the anthropology you know at unm in new mexico was was both in, you know, this like space of um, the, the field was growing and there was also such terrible things happening yeah. as well. Yeah. Right. Frank Hibben was, I mean, he's, he's the um, symbol of that to me, just he embodied like the Indiana Jones archetype and then his methods were if if not outright fraudulent they were certainly like unconcerned with any niceties of of uh treating the inhabitants of the area with with respect as to their ancestors um 
I think we're going to talk about the Decalog Stone in a future episode, as well as Pueblo Mound, which is a pottery, which is a, uh, so did I say a pottery, it's called Pottery Mound, and it's a ruined Pueblo near the Decalog Stone, which Hibben, in order to satisfy a crazy theory he had, he, he drove a bulldozer right through the middle of this ancient, huge archaeological site and just destroyed so much evidence there because he was oh looking God. for a ziggurat. <laughs> well, can I, along those lines and back to Howard, uh -huh. I, I didn't, I, I, I did one last search of him connected with Indiana University. Mm -hmm. And I think he fabricated something and gave it to them because listen to this. And this is from a different, um, this is from 1969, June 1st, 1969 to September, in which it sounds like they're cataloging their gifts, what they've acquired. Um, and one entry, number eight, collection of objects worn by members of the Diablo cult, D-I-A-B-L-O cult in New Mexico. Donated by Mr. Howard Elam. Diablo. And I have found I've found nothing on the Diablo cult except for this in New Mexico. Like when you search Diablo cult in quotes in New Mexico, did he just pull one over Indiana University Museum? Like <laughs> wild. I don't know. I've never heard of the Diablo cult. That is wow. Okay, well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to learn about that. And um, either we'll have an episode on the Diablo cult in New Mexico, or uh, or maybe we'll have an episode on the University of Indiana's gullibility. Because there's a ton of um, New Mexico artifacts in these pages. It's interesting. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Maybe that's an earlier satanic panic. Yeah. We'll have to get back to that. Um, well, one thing I know that he did use these skulls for and other skeletal remains was he planted them at these sites where he would take people on his fake treasure hunts to uh, to make it like kind of a more believable location oh and my would, god you know make them look like they were if it was a civil war site he would have you know uh indications that these skeletons were from civil war soldiers that kind of thing oh. So uh, this, hmm? I, I'm all nearly speechless at his, <laughs> the lengths he's going to. Uh, yeah. And how does one, how does one come up with an idea like this? Ugh. Do you acquire the 150 skulls first? And then you're like, I know what I can use these for. I mean, seriously. So this time when he's arrested, he doesn't offer any far-fetched stories about political cabals forcing him to acquire relics at gunpoint. Instead, his defense uh, rests on asserting that there's no paper trail to indicate that the five victims ever paid him anything. But the jury did not find that defense compelling and they found him guilty of nine counts of fraud and one of tax evasion. He was sentenced to 15 years. The judge had hoped to compel Elam to pay back his victims, even offering him reduced time if he did so, um, but he didn't. And even if he had, the damage done to New Mexico's like archaeological sites through his activities oh are beyond a price point. As you pointed out, 
the grave robbing of the ancestors of New Mexico's native population. I mean, that's a cultural spirit. That's right. maybe even a human crime, a human rights crime or right. something. Right. I'm like, know? is that a? It's yeah, such a violation. My God, yeah. It's certainly unforgivable, and we know that he destroyed uh, sites through his activities and stole remains from some of New Mexico's most important sites, including Chaco Canyon during his 1960s stay there. And oh as an God. independent tour guide, like you mentioned the cannons. What did mm. you find out about the cannons? I found um, that, and I'm not quite sure of the timeline, but at some point, so, so there's this missing legitimate um, Civil War Confederate Canyon, Canon, Canon, <laughs> um, you know, and, and so this article I found, which I believed maybe appeared in the, um, uh, in the El Defensor Chieftain, I don't know what, what newspaper mm. that's from, but, um, it's tracing this missing Canyon, um, Canon, <laughs> sorry. I don't know, that's, that's hilarious that you keep saying it, Canyon. I just don't like violence, so no. But, um, so it dis. So you know, in the 1960s, a local history buff in Socorro. Oh, this must be in Socorro. Um, Herbert Ross has the cannon, um, and then it disappears in the late 1970s. And so, according to this newspaper article, the cannon was stolen by an Albuquerque man named. You'll never guess. Howard Yum. Yeah. Um, who had just gotten out of prison for stealing historical documents from the right. UN library. He used the stolen barrel as a mold to make fake cannons, which he planted out in the desert near the Ladronas. Elam's Ladronas camp- Peak, which we talked about in a, yep. at a previous episode. Which I of know, course means thief, Ladronas thief. How appropriate. Um, yes, it's all connected. <laughs> um, yeah, and essentially he scammed investors into financing expeditions to find the missing Confederate cannons. And sure enough, now and again, the expedition would find one. Um, the Yay. scam went on for several years, milking people for thousands of dollars. Oh. And I, you I know, think- that sucks that people got built out of thousands of dollars. I, I do want to say that. But it just this, uh, but but he also, like, his destruction was something that's never going to be repaired you know i feel like these articles aren't or the one i mean from what i'm hearing yeah they're almost not where's the attention just like you said the destruction the violation the erasure the changing the just it all in service of getting money it sounds like and i'm sure he got off on it in some way he sounds a little pathological sociopath i don't know what it would be yeah yeah he's clearly really into these schemes yeah right like he wasn't this wasn't just an act of desperation that was like a one-off right robbing a bank or something like these are elaborate um they they hinge on duping people over and over again yeah this is not something like you don't do this unless there's something wrong with the way you think about other human beings and yourself yeah and then, you know, the documents that a bunch of the documents that he stole from UNM uh, have never been found still. So Gee. those are lost to uh, lost to historians forever now. Um, and, and you, 
thinking of the fabrication, you know, even this little mention of the Diablo cult, like what yeah. if people in Indiana were like, this is what the Diablo cult wore in New Mexico. I don't know. There's just right. so much, so many reverberations. Um, right. And I can't help but draw a line back to Hibben and, and his promotion of Sandia Man and yeah. how that caused archaeology and anthropology to go down this dead end for a while where textbooks were printed with 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 uh information on sandia man that was bogus you know oh yeah so, albuquerque was a real um, epicenter that. yeah <laughs> again i don't know you know i i imagine obviously there's crime and fraud everywhere but this this these things do definitely seem very peculiarly albuquerque slash new mexican the, the the forms that they've taken yeah all right so um he is still alive howard e lamb yeah where is he now so he served his 15 years he got released he and linda who uh participated in in a couple of these schemes um they did get divorced in 1995 and he remarried I found one mention of him in the year 2000, the meteorological bulletin number 84 reported that he discovered a 24 gram meteorite to the east of Albuquerque. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like I, I wouldn't buy it from him guys or go on any expeditions. <laughs> but overall, he seems to have led a pretty quiet life recently. Um, and like many retirees, he even has an eBay store where he enjoys a 100% positive feedback rating. And his wow. specialty is antiques, including ancient Native American artifacts. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> He's still oh out there. God. That's... I, 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 that's... That's so fitting. Um, it's almost sickening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, when I saw his eBay page and there was like ancient Anasazi shell necklaces. Oh like, my God. Dude, there is no way that that's legit. That, oh my God. Like wow. either he faked it or he, or he uh, came upon it through, uh, through less than um, legal means would be my guess. Allegedly. Allegedly he did that. I'm alleging that he may have done that. Yes. Just in case he's, I can't imagine he would come after us. I thought of, I found his phone number. Oh, <laughs> what about calling him? Call him? Yeah. I was like, well, it'd be interesting to talk to him about his side of the story. But then I was like, no, <laughs> no, I don't think that would be a good move. He's I don't still... know. Hmm? I know. I, I'm, I guess I'm curious, but I'm not curious enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, so all these crimes that you committed, did you? <laughs> yeah, tell us more. No, it was uh, Santa Fe State Representative Quintana who held me at gunpoint and forced me to take people out in the desert and dig wow. up treasure. Uh, yeah, wow. his phone number's out there. Um, his one thing, eBay page is out there, it sounds eBay like. page, you can find it. I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to say what it is on the air. I don't want people yeah. bothering, I, yeah. bothering him, but um, 
unless unless you're connected with the i don't know bureau of um antiquities or something if that's even a real thing but yeah so his his uh phone number a thing that amazes me forever always about older newspapers is how they'll just straight up print the address of the person they're talking about next to their name over and over again which you know now i know that i live very close to his first home which is wow. approximately three blocks away i could find his uh his home where he committed uh well where he had the hand dug caves under the uh under the floorboards it'd be interesting to knock on that person's door and find out oh, what they seriously. think of it yeah so that's how do you am wow it's just the the as we said the um you know it really starts off with a bang with stealing these um documents but then it, it gets worse i feel with the uh the bodies for me, the the burial sites that have been, yeah, really. totally, and something that wouldn't stand if it were bodies from his own culture, you know. Right, right, yeah, and it, yeah. I just totally. feel like the outrage would be much more turned up in those nineteen eighties newspapers. Yes. Now, if he did it now, I feel like that people would be much more outraged by it mm -hmm. like i do feel like there's a lot more conscientiousness about like these aren't the remains of the the disappeared anasazi that you know used mm -hmm. mysterious technology to build their you know their their multi-story dwellings these are actually the ancestors of people who still live in that area and right. still consider that their you know they consider that like the, well it is their uh it's their culture it's their people it's their right. it's their family and i do think people are more conscientious about that i mean i remember i would go with my mother to ruins like at sankawi up in the hames mountains and walk with her and we would just pick up pot shards you know yeah put them, put them in your pocket because they're cool things to find yeah you know and that's I wouldn't do that now. I don't do that now. I, right. That, that's not an okay thing to do. I agree. Um, there's that idea of, oh, this is for me to explore and take back with me. And yeah. Yeah. Look at this cool pot shard. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got, it's got black marks on it. You can picture the pot, you know, and, but um, just the, the thinking, like I, I, my own thinking about it has changed. Yeah, same same with mine. And honestly, being in um, New Mexico and Albuquerque, I think as well, mm -hmm. maybe differently of it. Um, and and um, seeing and with the podcast and elsewhere, seeing these his, histories and stories of um, the people who were first there. You know, native people, mm -hmm. white archaeologists and anthropologists, and how. Yeah you know how artifacts are displayed and found and all that yeah right right um forest fen uh, yeah i was thinking of him a little bit we should do a real in-depth episode on him and his treasure at some point we've talked about it before but i don't think we've ever 
we haven't never delved into it in, in his history, his rather um, controversial history in New Mexico. Yeah, right. Because there, there's controversial is a good word. I was trying to think of a because he's not a scammer per se, right? But there's some... no, no, he was never a con man. Yeah, I think, I think what he did was he. Well, what we know what he did is he he owned land that had a pueblo on it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my daughter scream every once in a while. Did you I hear my daughter scream? Joyful, yeah, I heard some scream. Yeah. It's joyful. I don't know what it is about. It doesn't sound like she's got her hands stuck in the garbage disposal, so she's probably okay. But that's what that is in the background. Um, one of these days we'll have a real podcast studio. Yeah, I will still me. have to zoom in, sadly. <laughs> we'll move you out here. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, okay. I mean, should, let, let's uh, close out the episode. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining me, Nora. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. The, thanks, wow. listeners. I'm sorry and thanks, Mike, Mike, out there for the idea. This was Mike's idea. I know. Um, I, I don't know. Join us. Yeah. Yeah. He's been a bit MIA lately, but we do have, as a reminder, the Mike Smith Ride Along Simulator will be available for your for your listening pleasure on uh, on Patreon for five dollars and up. Um, and to be clear, these will be unedited. Mike Smith. <laughs> That's best. Oh, yes. We have at least uh, two hours of, uh, of this. So, so I'm sure people are right now, they're getting their, uh, they're, they're navigating over to patreon.com slash city on the edge podcast and, uh, and signing up right now because of this amazing offer. As they should. As they Good should. Choice, everyone. And thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning into another episode of City on the Edge. If you enjoyed our show, tell your friends, like and share our stuff on social media, and check out our YouTube channel by searching for City on the Edge Albuquerque. This episode has been made possible by our supporters on Patreon, aka the coolest people on the planet. To join them in their support of our show and get exclusive access to content, t-shirts, and swag, go to patreon.com slash edge and sign up for one of the tiers starting as low as $1 a month. This has been a City on the Edge production.